Jesus, he's still risen. Hey, is that good news or what? It is the best news that you could ever have in your life is the fact that the grave is empty. It changes everything. Uh, it's good to see you guys here at Grove Central. Good to see you guys online. Well, thanks for being with us today for Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday, and he has risen. This is awesome news. It's good, and we're going to talk about that today. Um, so thanks for being here. You guys look awesome. How are you guys feeling? That's like a so-so. I mean, I was feeling a little better than that, yeah? So, all right. Well, I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you guys. You look very nice, and I'm glad you're with us today. So my friend told me a story. He said that um, um, a while back, there was... Um, his, uh, his, he went to his backyard, and his dog had this rabbit in its mouth. It was a little bunny. And um, he knew right away, like, oh, no, because his neighbors, they raised uh, blue ribbon uh, rabbits, bunnies, right? Really, really nice rabbits, expensive rabbits. And, and so he, he knew, like, oh, no, my dog got the neighbor's bunny. And so he gets the, the, the rabbit out of the dog's mouth, and there's a little blood on it, and it's kind of, you know, and he takes it inside and starts washing it. And he's, he tells me, he says, you know, I, I think um, I remember hearing that some animals play dead. So he was just hoping that, that the rabbit was playing dead, right? Because he didn't know which, he felt which animals those were. And so he washed the rabbit really good. And he says, don't judge me. I ran it and took it back to the cage in my neighbor's, neighbor's yard. And so he gets the little rabbit and puts it in. He's just hoping like, oh, I hope he's playing dead. I hope he's going to come back to life. It's going to be good. And so about this is not, not less than 30 minutes, he hears his neighbors just screaming like crazy, like frantically. And he's thinking, what in the world is going on? And so he's like, he walks over to the, he knows what happens, right? So he goes to the edge of the wall. He's like, what's happening? What's, what's going on? What's happening? And the kids are crying. The neighbor's like, you, our, our rabbit, it died three days ago, and we buried it in the backyard. And all of a sudden, it's back in our it's cage. And they're just freaking out. So if you lost something and you buried it, and three days later it came back to life, you'd be freaking out too, right? So don't judge those neighbors too harshly. They'd be freaking out. Well, that's what Easter's all about. And I get it. Some people, they actually like, this is, this is a kind of a crazy story, right? It kind of, it, it just freaks them out. So if you're here, maybe you're watching the line, you're here. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. Um, I want to talk about the Easter story and what it means uh, to us and why it's so significant. And so I'm going to walk us through a couple of stories in the gospel that talks about today. So today would be Easter Sunday, um, the third day where Jesus, who died on Friday, it had been Thursday afternoon when he would have died. And so he was buried Thursday afternoon through, through Saturday into Sunday um, because it was it's a Jewish culture. Uh, Saturday would have been, so fr- Friday sundown to Saturday sundown is Sabbath. They do no work. And so when he was in the grave, they would have not done anything during that day. They would have just stayed home and they would have taken their Sabbath, right? Uh, it's just part of their, their, their tradition. And so early morning on Sunday, they would have got up and go to the grave. And this is where Luke tells us a story. So it says this in Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. So they didn't, it was a rush burial. And so they didn't get to do all the preparation that they normally do do for for a burial. So they were going to go take some spices and and finish the job, right? But when they got there, they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. So on Thursday, a couple of influential Jewish people went to Pilate and said, Jesus is dead. Can we have his body? We'd like to bury it in in my personal tomb. So Joseph goes and asks for this body, and he buries it in his own tomb. So it would have been like a cave, right? And so Pilate and the religious leaders say, well, let's make sure we guard it so that they don't pretend that he rose from the dead. So they put... This big stone in front of it, and they would have sealed it, probably some mortar, and they would have guards there for the next few days just watching this, right? So when they get there, the stone is rolled away, and there's no guard. Another uh, gospel tells us that the, the guards saw the angels 
they trembled and fell down and then went and told people in the city what had happened. So um, they would have been in a lot of trouble if they were this thing place. So the guards, they left. So the women, they find the stone rolled away in the tomb. But when they enter, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So there's no body. And while they're wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleam like lightning stood beside them. The two guys show up, and they're gleaming. So these are angels, and they're there. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Great phrase. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how I told you while you, were, while you were still in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day he will rise again. Then they remembered his word. So then they go to the disciples and they tell them what took place a few verses later. But the disciples did not believe them, right? They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So they're thinking these women are crazy. What is going on? Like our Savior just was brutally murdered and crucified on this cross, right? To the point of not being recognized. And, and they, they didn't believe him. So however, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So the women come and tell. They don't believe them because it sounds like nonsense. And then Peter goes, and it says he went away wondering to himself what in the world had happened. So maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online, and maybe you're thinking, so this Jesus story, you know, I'm not really sure if I believe this. So if you're skeptical, let me just say you're in good company, all right? If you're skeptical about the Christian message, you're in good company because even the disciples didn't believe at first. They were skeptical. They didn't know what in the world was going on. They weren't sure. In fact, if you ask people about Jesus, some people will say, well, he was a good man, right? He was a, he was a, some different religions talk about Jesus. One religion says he was a prophet. Another religion says, well, he was a wise man and had a lot of wise teachings. Other ones say he was a good person with good teachings. But most of them do not acknowledge that he was the son of God, that he was Messiah. They leave that. They say, no, we, we can't embrace that much. But here's the thing. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, he wasn't a good man. So how could, how could you call him good if he really wasn't the son of God and he told you that he was? And he duped all these people into believing that he was. Would you call that person good? No, you'd call him delusional. You'd call him a liar, but you wouldn't call him good. So we're left with only three categories that we can put Jesus in. Either he was who he says he was, right? Or he was a liar. If he's a liar, I don't think we should follow him. That's wasting our life, wasting our time. Or he was a lunatic. He was a crazy person. And if he's crazy, I don't think in delusional, we shouldn't be following something like that because that wouldn't be worth our life to be able to say, I'm going to follow this person. So either he's a liar He's a lunatic, or he really is Lord. He really is the Son of God, and we have to decide that. In my heart, I made the decision. I believe he is who he said he was, and I, I, I'm all in. So today is all about that. Today is what proves that he was who he said he was. So if the disciples were skeptical, right, and a lot of the religious people were skeptical, they didn't believe, what changed their minds? How could – what changed the minds of, of hundreds of, of people within the days after his resurrection, which will lead into thousands of people, fast forward 2,000 years to today – Billions of people who would confess and say Jesus is, is the Son of God. I'm going to follow Christ as a, as a Jesus, as a follower, as a Christian. So today in our world, there are 2.4 billion people on our planet that will be worshiping and, and celebrating the fact that Easter happened, that, that the grave is empty today. That's a third of our world. So what would cause a third of our world to let go of their skepticism and begin to embrace God as the Son of God? Well, I think we can figure this out by looking at the disciples' story. Because the disciples are trying to help us overcome the things they had to overcome, right? So they're, they're invited us on this journey. One of my favorite gospels is John, the, the gospel of John. We're going to read the same account, but in his, his account, 
And what I love about John is he's given us these hints and details that if you just kind of read too fast, you miss them. And today we're going to point them out, right? It's pretty awesome. So the same account we just read in Luke, we're going to read in John. And we're going to pick up from where um, Simon, um, they tell, the, tell what takes place, and Simon goes to the tomb, right? So John says this in John 20. He says, so Simon came running, so she came, Mary Magdalene, came running to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, and the one Jesus had loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So she is, talking about Mary Magdalene, she came to them and told them, so remember the first story that the angels were there, they, so she comes back and tells the disciples they don't believe her, right? And so she comes, and it says, so Simon Peter and the other disciple, I love John, the, the, the disciple John is pretty awesome. So when he says the other disciple, he's talking about himself. Right, so he's very humble. He's not just saying and it was me, but he's pointing to hinting at some things that took place. So he says the other one, the one that Jesus loved, just in case you didn't know, it, it was him. He's trying to help us with some details, right? <laughs> and he's like, guys, I'm the one he really loved. So the, the two of them, <laughs> they don't know where they put him. So it says, so Peter and the other disciple, this is John writing, right? So it says Peter and me, right? Started for the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran peter so you can see these guys they have a good relationship right even in their in their life they, he's still poking at peter like remember that time peter i outran you to the tomb i was faster you might have been the leader but i was faster right so he's like the other one he outran peter and reached the tomb first he bent over and looked into the strips of linen lying there but did not go in so he's still be respectful right he's still humble john is humble waiting for the leader to come waiting for peter to come before he goes in and so then then, then simon peter came along behind him and went straight in, or he could say, and then finally Simon caught up to me, right? <laughs> Catching his breath, like, man, John, you're so fast. Oh, I can barely keep up with you. He comes in and along, um, came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying there in its place, separated from the linen. Like Jesus was ready from the grave, but he had so much time to do laundry, right? So he folded up the things and put them there. And Peter's like, what in the world is going on? Um... And it says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. So in this moment, John says, in that moment, that's when I saw for myself that he really was gone and I believed. Peter went away trying to figure out, like, what in the world is going on? But then, Paul, then John says, hey, but you're in good company if you don't really believe this yet, just because he says this. They still do not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So this is all kind of confusing to them. Why in the world would this guy get, get die on the cross but then come back to life? Why is that so important? And so he says they still do not understand. So they were still trying to figure this out. So if you've ever doubted or maybe even you're maybe here and you're not a Jesus follower, or maybe you are, and some of your doubts are like, I don't know if I can really believe that. It's, it's a nice story. He has some good teachings. But I don't know about this whole thing, you know, this, these miracles and what took place. And, um, and John is saying, hey, that's, that was us too. We didn't understand what was going on. We thought our, our Savior, like, he, he came, and they, they were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a Savior, but they thought it was going to be like the story of, of Egypt, of the Jewish people, of the Israelites leaving Egypt, right? They were slaves, and they were freed. They were hoping that they would be freed from the Roman occupation, that they would, be, that they would kick the Romans out, and they'd be able to establish their country again and be free from any oppression. They were waiting for that Messiah to do that, but Jesus died. So if he died, that means he really wasn't Messiah or God, because how could Messiah or God die on the cross? Because they didn't put all the things together, realizing that his death was on our behalf. And then he was going to come back to life three days later to show something, to prove something. So he says, you know, we struggle a little bit too. So then the disciples went back to where they were, where they were staying. It says, but now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. So this Mary, Mary Magdalene, 
This is the Mary in the story where Jesus delivers a woman of seven demons. This is her. So Jesus had a profound impact in Mary's life. She was bound. She was oppressed. Um, she was delivered from, from Jesus from, these, from these, these, these demons in her life. So she was free from that. So you can imagine the kind of affection Mary would have for Jesus, right? She would love him because he rescued her from all of the evil, all the things that were in her life. He freed her from that. So in her mind, she's thinking, this is the, he's, he did something in my life that nobody else could do. He freed me, and now he's gone. And so she wept, right? And she bent over, looked in the tomb, and she saw the two angels in white. Seated where Jesus' body had been, one at, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. So her compassion, she's like, I just want, even if it's just his body, I just want to be able to see that he's still, that somebody didn't take his body. And then Jesus turns to her and says, Mary. And you can imagine at that moment, Mary would have recognized. She didn't recognize him at first because he wasn't beat, beat up. He wasn't the crucified Savior. He was the risen Savior. So he didn't have all the scars. He didn't have all those things. He, she would have been like, maybe a little confused at that moment. But as soon as he says Mary, she turned to him and cries in Aramaic, Rabbi, which, Rabbi, which means teacher. So in that moment, she realizes, wait, he died, but now he's alive. And she, she goes in and she hugs him. And he says, hey, do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. And some people say, well, he said don't touch her because he hasn't got the Father yet. But other scriptures, he goes and let the other disciples touch him. So really what this phrase means is don't hold on to me too tightly. So Mary loves Jesus so much that when she saw him, she probably like squeezed him. And he's probably like, like, like this, Mary, don't hold on to me, right? It's probably more of that kind of saying because she was holding him. And what he was trying to say is, okay, you're going to have to let go of me at some point because – I need to go continue doing the next, the next things that I need to do, and I'll come back and visit the disciples in a minute. And so he says, hey, Mary, I know you're happy I'm here, but you have to let go of me for a second. You're kind of squeezing my guts, right? I'm going to go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, my God and your God. I love the way he tells Mary what he tells her in this moment, right? So he's saying, go tell, go tell the disciples, right, that I'm, I'm here, that I'm, gonna, I'm ascending to my father. And he says, my father, oh, and by the way, he's your father too, Mary. And he's my God, and he's also your God. It's a relationship. He said, Mary, don't miss this, right? I've come for a reason to help people know something more. So my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she told them, that he, what he had said these things, that he had said these things to her. So she had, she had seen the Lord. She experienced the resurrected Lord. So in this moment, her faith in Christ just exploded, right? So he, was, he freed her. He died a, a horrific death on the cross where she would have, like, cried at the hands of, you know, the, the, the Romans killing him like that. That has been brutal to see somebody brutally murdered like that, right, and, and died. And then she's just heartbroken. And then on Sunday, she comes, and he's not in the tomb, but he's alive. This is Easter Sunday. This is why we celebrate Easter Sunday, right? And she believes. She's seen in the Lord, and she believes. So John and the disciples, later, if you fast forward, they actually say that they go and they hide in a room because they're, still, they're afraid that the, the Romans – and the Pharisees are going to do the same thing to them they did to Jesus. They're going to kill them. So they're hiding out of fear, right? But she goes and she has this faith all of a sudden. So John is trying to help us on this journey. He's like, he's like let me help you on this journey to help you experience things uh, so you understand that who Jesus is. So let me go back to the Gospel of John. 
And John gives us these hints in his, in his writing. He wants us to experience Christ the way he experienced him. And he wants us to overcome our, our skepticism and our doubt to understand why they would be willing to sacrifice and lay down their lives for this person named Jesus Christ because of Sunday. So John 2, he says this about Jesus. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So this is when they first started believing that, he, okay, this guy's different. But it says, just notice this word, the first, the first of the signs. So the first miracle Jesus performs is at a wedding. So he goes to his wedding, and the, the wedding, they, they run out of wine, which had been an embarrassment to the family because they didn't prepare enough, right? So Mary, the, Jesus' mother, says, hey, Jesus, like, help them out. And he's like, woman, it's not my time. Like, slow down, right? And she's like, just, just listen to him. Whatever he says, do. So he tells the servants to go get these jugs of water, fill them up. And he does this miracle. He turns the water into wine. And then the guests, they, they, they drink it, and the, the, the host is like, whoa, you saved the best for last. This is, like, awesome. This is the best wine I ever had, right? Pretty awesome miracle, which is pretty cool. But John says this is the first of the signs. And he fast forward four chapters later. It says once more he visited the same place, Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick. So he's hinting back at this miracle. It's like, hey guys, he's went back where he first miracle, right? And there's this royal official, so a very important person, whose son was sick in a different city, and he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, Heal my son. And Jesus says, you guys are always wanting signs for me to prove that I'm God. He says, just, just believe. And the man says, go, sir, or he's going to die. And Jesus just says, your son's healed. Go and go check he's healed. So the man begins to return. It's a day journey. So he's, he's returning to his hometown. And while he's going, the servants that were with his boy, they actually meet him in the middle and say, um, sir, your son is healed. He says, what do you mean he's healed? And he says, yeah, yesterday. And he said, what time? He said, yesterday at 1 o'clock, your son just became well. He got, he got out of bed and he was healed. And the man, it says the royal official, he realized that was the exact moment that Jesus said, go, your son is healed. So second miracle. And this is what John says. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from, the, from Judea, Galilee. So this is the only other time that John will give us the hint that there's these miracles that are taking place. So the first sign was water to wine. Uh, the second sign was the healing of this, of, this, of this boy, right? He'll go on to list some other ones. So the first one was water to wine. The second one is healing the sick boy. The third miracle is going to be Jesus healing an invalid. So a man who was born with the inability to walk. He, he, was, he couldn't walk. Jesus heals him. Right? Pretty cool story. And then Jesus takes uh, a few loaves of bread and some fish, and he, he does his miracle and feeds 5,000. Well, it's 5,000 men, so it's probably like 15,000 people. Right? So it takes a little bit, turns into a lot. He feeds them. That's the fourth miracle. And then it says John records that he walks on water. And the disciples freak out because here he comes walking on water. Like, who is this man? What is going on here? Right? And, and he's proven that he's power over nature. And then he heals a man who was born blind, who's in darkness. And then the, the seventh miracle will be Jesus uh, brings Lazarus uh, back to life. So his friend Lazarus dies. We talked about that last week a little bit. For three days he's dead. He comes and he brings him back to life. What's interesting is, so this is Jesus, the miracle that John records. Well, in the Old Testament, when they were captive in, in Egypt as slaves, right, God sent Moses as a, as a savior. He was a type of Christ. So he was like the, the first hint that God was going to send a Messiah in the future to rescue us from slavery. So Moses, he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. God's commanded them. They've been slaves long enough. They need to be delivered. And so Pharaoh says, no. He says, fine. Then God's going to prove his might, might and power to you. And so the first, the first miracle that he does, he takes the rod and he strikes the water. And he turns the water into what? Do you remember? Blood. So he takes life. He curses life, and it turns into blood. And all the, all the Egyptians are like, whoa, that's the, so that's the Old, Old Testament, right? 
of when Moses is going to lead people out of, out of Israel. Well, God does these miracles to try to prove to the Pharaoh and to the Egyptians that God is God. And every time he'd do a miracle that, that negatively impacted the Egyptians, it, he would always spare the, the Israelites from those same things. So the first miracle, he strikes and turns into blood. And then he sends, um, he sends frogs and lice and flies. The disease comes into the, into the Egyptians, right? Um, and then at one point he kills livestock. Um, he sends disease to the livestock and they die. And then he sends hail from heaven and it kills a lot of the crops and things like that. And then he sends locusts. And then, he, and then the, the, the ninth one is he sends darkness for three days over Egypt. It was light where the Israelites were, but it was dark. So these miracles that God is trying to prove to them that he is powerful, he is really the God. Because Pharaoh thought he was God. Sometimes that's like us. Sometimes we think we're God. Like we just, we're more powerful than we are. And he's trying to prove to him that, no, it's not that way. And then the last one is he kills the firstborn of any son, the firstborn son of any, any, um, anybody that didn't believe in what God asked him to do, which was to sacrifice a lamb paint the blood on the doorpost. When the death angel comes, it'll pass through. So these are the miracles that take place in the Old Testament. It's interesting that John, he makes this comparison of what Jesus did compared to what took place in the Old Testament. So what happened in the first one? Moses, it was a negative. He turned water into blood. Jesus takes water and turns it into wine. So they, Moses, he brings death and disease, right? And Jesus brings healing to somebody who's sick and healing to somebody who can't walk. Moses, through, through miracle, destroys the crop, the, the, the animals, that so destroys what people would eat. Jesus, he feeds, takes something that's little, and feeds a multitude of people. Moses sends hail and locusts. Jesus walks on water to show he controls nature. Three days of darkness, Jesus heals a man from darkness. Kills the firstborn, death to somebody who's living, brings life from somebody who's dead. This is not a coincidence. John is trying to say, guys, when we doubted, we didn't make sense to us. But when we began to read the scriptures, we began to read what Jesus did. All of a sudden, these light bulbs began to go on like, oh, wow, that was to talk about these things that he was going to do. Those are to prove that one day God will send a savior to us also. But it wasn't a savior just so we could be comfortable and just so we can escape slavery here on earth. It was a savior who would take care of the ultimate problem that we have, and that is a sin problem. That is a death problem. See, God told Adam... You're free to eat of all these trees in the Garden of Eden. Just don't eat that one. That one is to activate your, your human will, that you have the ability to choose. It's a gift, free will. Don't eat that one. As soon as you do, you will bring death. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ate the one thing they couldn't eat, and they invited death. Sin powers death. So from then on, everybody's afraid of death. It's going to happen to all of us. We just know it's going to take place. So the one thing that we should all be afraid of, Jesus comes to take care of what powers it on the cross. He dies for our sin. But then he wants to prove to us that he didn't just forgive sin. He wants to actually do more than that. He wants to conquer death also. So throughout the Gospels, there's one story. I think it's in Mark. Jesus is at the temple, and it's, it's Sabbath, and they're there to worship. And there's a man who has a shriveled hand, it says. And he turns to the man. He's talking to the man, and he says, he says uh, at one point, he says, your sins are forgiven. And, and the, the religious people say, yeah, he, he's a sinner. That's why he must have sickness. And that wasn't the point. Jesus was saying, I'm, I'm going I'm, to, it was a setup. And he turns and says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people say, wait, wait, only God can forgive sins, which was the point. And he says, you're right. So only God can forgive sins. Son, your sins are forgiven, despite what the religious people thought. And then he says, to prove that, that the Son of Man has authority here on heaven and earth, he says, be made well. And the, one of the miracles he performs is this man's shriveled hand gets life again, and he heals him. The point was this, that the disciples are making. 
God was forgiving sin, but then he would prove that he had the power to forgive sin by doing miracles to show them that he had power over everything. And John says it's going to start very simple, and it's going to work up and up and up until there's this point where it's like, okay, this is undeniable what God is doing. And then today we celebrate the fact not only does he raise somebody else's life, he raises himself to life. So what he's trying to say, John is saying he's trying to prove to us that he is the Son of God, that he has power over everything, and that what we lost through sin we gave the authority of the enemy through sin, he took back to the cross. And then he didn't stay there. In fact, the miracle he did of Lazarus, he tells, he tells Lazarus' sister Martha, he says this. She comes and she says, um, if you'd have been here sooner, my, my brother would never have died. And he says to this, he says this, that I am the resurrection and the life. He's hinting at what's going to take place even before it happens. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And those who believe, they're going to live even though they face death at some point. And she says, he says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. So she believes. She said, I believe this. I believe this. And then when he dies and comes back to life, not only is she going to believe it, but she's going to give everything she has to make sure others know this. So the resurrection is evidence that sin was destroyed once and for all on our behalf. The resurrection is to show that there is no longer power over us. He has paid the price for our sin. He conquered the thing that death brings. So it's interesting about the disciples. One of the disciples, who wasn't a disciple in the beginning, became one of the leaders of the church. His name is James. So James the Just is what they called him. He was the half-brother of Jesus. Okay? Eventually, he'd become the leader of, of, the, of the, the early church in Jerusalem. And about 30 years, he would preach the gospel. He would, he would tell us about what Christ did. And then he would be brutally murdered they throw him off the pinnacle of the temple he wouldn't die from the the, the, the impact in the fall so because he wasn't dead they would get clubs and, and and rocks and they would beat him to death to the point of until uh, he died that was the way he died so james is the half brother of jesus let me just ask you a question if your brother was jesus what would it take for you to believe that he was the son of god because for james like his brother he could do these cool party tricks right turn some water into wine that's pretty cool but moses did that like you know god used moses he could use another man so for James, he was just another person. He knew Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. Jesus had body odor just like he had body odor, right? It would be hard to, like, separate God from man. And that was the point. Jesus was fully man, but he was fully God. So what convinced James that Jesus was the Son of God? Sunday morning. Easter, Sunday morning, the resurrection. If you didn't believe before, and you see him come back to life after he's been brutally murdered, something changes, and you realize, wow, he has power over the grave. This guy really was who he said he was. One of our strongest arguments or, or, or proof that Jesus who he was said he was. The fact that his half-brother, not just one of his half-brothers, other half-brothers too would, would also, but the disciples, they would willingly give their life. Thomas, he gets the, the, the bum rap of being called Doubting Thomas, right? Because he wasn't there when Jesus came and showed up. And, and that story we read in the beginning, it says Jesus shows up in the middle of the room that they locked, they're afraid. And all of a sudden he's there and like, he's like, hey guys, peace. <laughs> it's okay, I'm here. Thomas wasn't there, so he missed that opportunity. So he, he comes. They say, Thomas, you just missed Jesus. He says, I'm not going to believe until I see it myself, until I can put my hands in his wounds. So the next day, Jesus shows up and says, hey, Thomas, hey, come check it out. And Thomas actually sees and believes. He'll then travel t- towards India. He'll give his life in that part of the world starting churches. But he'll eventually die because of the message he brings. Why would these disciples, who some say, well, it's just a lie, they fabricate it. Why would they willingly let their, themselves and their families be killed? And in some cases, brutally killed, cut in half, boiled in oil, 
the disciples, they, they risked their life to take this good news, the good news that we're all sinners. We've all made a mistake, but God settled that on the cross. And, hey, there's proof that he was God. He came back to life three days later. What, they gave him so much courage. They, they went and said, we have to take this to everybody. There's another disciple named, named uh, Paul. He was Saul. And if you don't like Christians, maybe you're watching the line or maybe you're in service and you're like, man, there's just times I just don't like Christians. Paul, he was even, even worse than you. He, he, he didn't like him to the point that he would have him in prison and even killed. And then he has this encounter with the risen Savior, Jesus. And he blinds him for a few days. And he tells him, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, the Lord. Why are you after my people? And Paul realizes, because even he didn't understand what was taking place. He, he, he thought Jesus was just a man, like a lot of people. And he realized, wow, Jesus really was the Son of God. Then he gives his life to God, and he becomes one of the main voices. Most of our New Testament is written by Paul, because he believed. Why would Paul willingly suffer and get beaten multiple times, and be imprisoned, be stoned to the point of almost dying a couple times, always on the fear, running from people that were trying to kill him? What would it take for him to live that way? An encounter with the risen Savior, who says, Saul, I really am who I said I am. Now I'm going to prove it to you by healing, by, by doing these miracles, by doing all these things to help you to see this. So Paul makes a statement in 1 Corinthians. He says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. The law gives sin its power, but thank God he gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, you don't have to fear, you don't have to worry about death. At some point it's going to come for us. God took care of it on our behalf. So the resurrection says we don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear death. Jesus prayed, paid the price for your sin. He conquered all things. He conquered even the thing that scares us the most is death. You know, last year during, during COVID, there was these debates that began to break out between mask, no mask, right? And for um, in different parts of the country, it's different, right? Because people like, kind of have different, different values and they just, they just think differently. Um, for, for us, there's a, this point where there's this debate, right, in churches of like, man, we should be free. We shouldn't have to wear masks, these things, right? And it was hard for me. Can I just tell you, it was really hard to make a decision that would say, you know what, we're going to require them. Because there's a part of me that just says, you know, I don't want to. If you don't want to come, you're, you're, fear, you're fearful, whatever, don't, don't come. But then there's this other part of me that says, but how can I reach those who don't believe what I believe? And I would hear Christians, they would say this, right? And I get this because I would say the same thing. If COVID takes me out, then COVID takes me out. Like, I'm at peace. I'm okay. Like, God, I believe that if that's what you want me to go, then I'm, I'm okay with that. I really have peace at this, right? And I hear other Christians that would say this, like, wait, when it's my time to go, it's my time to go. It's just, it's the way it is. But then as I began to see people in the stores, say, six feet, six feet, like, whoa, whoa, keep careful. I began to realize that not everybody thinks the way I think, and not everybody believes the way I believe. So when a Jesus follower would say, hey, it's my time to go, who cares? You know, I'm not going to wear a mask, just deal with it. What a person that doesn't view what we view, life and death, what they hear is, hey, if I kill you, I kill you. Sorry, it's not my fault. That's what they hear. Because obviously if they have fear of death, they don't have a piece of what, with what's next. There's a fear there. And I get it. The disciples had it. It says that the men locked themselves in a room because they were afraid to die from the hands of the Romans and the, and the Pharisees. And the women are out about like trying to find Jesus, right? Just said something. No, no. Even, even, even her statement, even her statements. She says, "Rabbi, Jesus let women be his, his students, his disciples. Also, he brought invite them in. Scripture is awesome. If you miss it, ladies, he did so much for you guys more than you realize. 
He helped advance the cause for you more and more. And, and they loved him for that. But he, he would invite them in, and they were afraid of death. So if you're afraid, the disciples did too until they realized, wait, I don't have to be afraid of death. He paid the price on my behalf. He conquered this on my behalf. I can have peace in him. I can have peace through him because of what he did on the cross. So John, I love, I love the way he writes. He, he writes the last book in the Bible called Revelation. So John was the only disciple that wasn't brutally murdered as a martyr. He was martyred in a different sense. He was exiled, so he was sent away. Um, but he, was, he, was, um, he wrote letters, right, and he had these visions. The Revelation is a vision of him going to heaven. And in the first chapter of Revelation, he meets Jesus. So not that Jesus will walk the earth as his disciple, but the resurrected, not just even the resurrected, he, re- he meets Jesus as powerful king of the universe. And it says he was, there was so much to it that he, he got down on his hands and feet, his, his knees, thinking he was going to die. That's how like, terrified he was of how much power there was there. He got down. And it's, Jesus says this in Revelation 1. Jesus comes to him and says, hey, John, don't be afraid. Remember last week I said that there's 365 fear, fear nots in the scripture for every day of our life? Here's a good one for today, right? Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. Oh, and by the way, John, I hold the keys of death and the grave. I hold the keys of death and the grave. Those things that should scare you the most, yep, I conquered that too, John. So why did he say not to be afraid? Because the very thing that we should be afraid of, Jesus went and, and fought on our behalf to get keys to death and the grave. So if death takes you, it doesn't own you because God has the keys to it. If death takes you and the grave takes you, it doesn't own you because God has the keys and you sacrifice your life for him. So Paul and John and Peter and the disciples, they experienced the risen Savior and they went all in, gave everything they had because they understood the power of the gospel. I love Paul, his heart, right? You can't beat Paul. Once he experiences the resurrection power, once he experiences the risen Savior, they tell him, hey, Paul, you better stop or we're going we're gonna to put you in prison. Would you please? I can write some letters to my friends. And they lock him up, and he writes letters to his friends. And we have the books that he wrote, right, all the different churches that he started. Fine, Paul. If you don't stop, we're going to beat you. Do it. Whatever you have to do, I'm gonna, you're not going to stop me. So they beat him to the point of death multiple times, and he keeps going on. If, fine, Paul. If you don't stop, we're going to kill you. Would you do me the favor? Like, and this is what he says. He says, if I die, man, it's my gain. I go to heaven. And if I stay here on earth because you can't kill me, it's your gain because I get to write more letters and start more churches and help more people understand the power of the resurrection. How do you beat Paul? There's no fear of death. There's no fear of what comes because his hope was in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who told John, hey, John, you don't have to fear anymore. I got the keys. Hey, remember when sin's power came and it took it, took it and, and Satan entered into, uh, took, got the power from, from the humans because we willingly gave it to him by our sin? And he had the power to hold that over us. Like one day you're going to die and then you should be afraid. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Because even though you die, you will live again if you're one of my followers. So this takes faith. This takes us stepping into it. So my challenge today is this. Would you experience and live a resurrection life? Be an Easter person. So Easter people, we don't just celebrate once every year. We do celebrate this day because it's significant. But Easter people, they live this on a daily basis on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday because we get to experience the resurrection power every single day of our lives, not having to fear that death might come for us one day, but that we have peace knowing that when our time is up, we can trust that God conquered on our behalf. So here's the thing. Jesus paid the price for our sin that we, we have, but we have to accept that on, 
for, for ourselves. It's like if you if had this tab, right? If your sin was like this, this bill, you've been kind of ringing up this tab during life of how much you owe. It's like Jesus goes to the cashier and says, hey, that, that tab they got, I'm going to pay it all for them. Just t- take care of it, right? It's all, it's all good. The person that receives Christ goes up and says, wow, he paid on my behalf. I received that. Yeah, that's, it's done. Now, a proud person would go up and say, I don't need his help. I can do it on my own. And they reject the payment that was there, and they will do it on their own. So hell is not a place God sends people. Hell is a place where we choose to go because it's an option. It's a place that we say we don't want God to be God. We'll be God instead. We'll do our own thing. Heaven is a place where we say, God, we accept your sacrifice on our behalf. We accept your payment on our behalf. We receive that because of what you've done on the cross. And your resurrection just proves the power that's there, that one day I will also rise again, even after death, and I will live. And he invites us into this journey, right, to be Easter people, to be experienced and live the resurrection life. Like, God, we'll, we'll, we'll accept that. It's kind of like, let's say there's a couple, and they're maybe starting to age a little bit, and the wife realizes the husband is starting to lose a little hearing, right? So she says, you need to go to the doctor. She goes, and he has checked down. They say, yeah, you have about 50% loss, and you should probably take care of this because it's going to just keep decreasing. You should get some hearing aids. Here's the price. And he looks at the price and says, I'm not paying that for hearing aids. That's crazy. He goes home and tells his wife, yeah, she says I need hearing aids, but I'm not going to pay that. That's and, she, and the wife would say, no, no, we've been saving for this. Please go and do this. It's going to help. It's going to benefit you. Well, the man has an option. Can he be maybe let pride go and say, you know what, I do have an issue. It is going to cost a lot of money, but I think it's worth it, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Or is he going to be proud and say, you know what, I can do this on my own. I'll just, I don't know, whatever, have people talk louder all the time. And he can reject it. The same thing is in front of us today. Jesus died on the cross and says, I made a way for you to the Father. But it's going to take you to put down your pride and say, you're right, I need a Savior. I can't do it on my own. The payment that you have, I can never earn my way enough, do enough to, to pay it off. In fact, the Bible says that even all of our good that we do is never enough to make that right. It's going to take something greater. So sin was entered. We have to conquer sin through something different. It's too great. That's what religion is. Religion is saying you can prove to yourself, you can prove to others that you're good enough. You can do it on your own. And God says, use humans, you can never do enough to prove. But it's free if you'll receive it. You don't need to. It's called grace. That you'll get something you don't deserve. It's called mercy. God's going to give you something that you need. All it takes is us to say, all right. So Paul says this, that if you confess Jesus with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Because it's the belief in the heart, and it's the confession of the mouth that makes the biggest difference. And that takes us laying down pride, saying, you're right, God, I can't do it without you. So maybe today you're here, and you're, hopefully you're at a place, maybe you're online or in this room, that you would say, you know what? I have not had confidence in God. Maybe I've been skeptical. Maybe I've doubted. Maybe I've never put my trust in, in Christ. But today... I'm ready. I'm ready to admit that I need a Savior. I'm ready to admit that I can't do it on my own. I'm ready to receive the sacrifice God made on my behalf. If that's you, I'm going to give you a moment in a a little bit to say a prayer with me. I'm not going to call you to the front, but just right there in your seat, I'll lead you in a prayer. If you're at home and you want to pray this with us, give you an opportunity also. But do me a favor. Close your eyes and bow your head today. If you're in this room or you're watching online and that's you, would you lift your hand? Take a moment of courage to say that's me. God, I want to receive everything you have for me. Anybody else? I see a lot of hands going up. Today I acknowledge I need God. Maybe like disciples, you've had some doubt, but today you're saying, you know what? If he conquered death and grave for me, I'm going all in. 
I can have faith and confidence and assurance that when it's my time, I will see God face to face and I can stand before him and say, thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Awesome. Probably you raise your hand. Would you pray this prayer with me? All the watching online, you want to pray. For the rest of us in the room, would you pray with us so that those who raise their hand are not praying alone? If you're Jesus, follow, pray with us. They're not praying alone. Say this today. Say, Father God, today I admit that I need your help. Forgive me of my sins, of my mistakes, of my past. Today, I receive your sacrifice on that cross on my behalf. Thank you for paying my debt. Today, I give you my life. I confess that you are Lord. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. You're alive today. I put my trust in you. Would you lead me? Would you guide me? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate that. So awesome.